The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father, you are so kind to draw us all here together to sit before you and to sing, to praise you, to pray to you, to hear from your word. You are kind to create these moments. And so we ask you, would you complete your intention for these moments? Will you now draw near and commune with us? You teach us particularly now from this passage of Scripture in a way that shapes us and builds us up and conforms us more to your image. Complete that work that you have started this morning, Lord, and renew us. Make us different corporately and individually. So where there's something here in this passage that is, that is confronting, that is difficult, that is challenging, will you... Will you speak it graciously to us? Whether there's something that is encouraging, will you speak it with hope? Will you, will you speak and teach and build your people? Make us more like you here in this world. We pray this for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of the name of Jesus, and for the good of us, your people. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The problem with Christians is that they're so judgmental. probably heard that before. It's pretty frequently said. And setting aside for a moment the irony of the judgmentalism in that statement itself, we can certainly understand why people say that about us. Sometimes it's said incorrectly. Sometimes Christians are accused of being judgmental simply because we say there is a standard of right and wrong, of moral and immoral, and that it's an objective standard set by God and all people are accountable to it. If and when we say something like that, people will accuse us of being so judgmental, and there really isn't a lot we can do about that. And yet, on the other hand, sometimes the accusation has some merit because we've all met someone, maybe even been that one, who loves to say those things that I just said. Who loves to say there is a right and a wrong, there is an, a moral and an immoral, there is a standard objectively set by God that we all are accountable to, including you, who loves to say that. Point a, point a finger at somebody, one who's very critical in spirit and so full of and often voicing verdicts. As if we live in their personal courtroom and their job is to, is to haul us in and examine us to see how we are doing, see what we're doing how we are. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. And rightly so, because Jesus doesn't like it either. And that's what brings us to our passage this morning at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. As we've been walking through the central section of what we've come to call the Sermon on the Mount, 
We've seen Jesus explaining to us his disciples. Remember, that's the primary audience. Of course, there's, there's a big crowd that's gathered around here, but he's speaking primarily to his people, his disciples, and he's been talking to us about how to walk rightly, that is, righteously here in the world. Made righteous in Christ, we then grow in righteousness, particularly in heart, and that comes out in right actions in life. So we are depending on him, trusting him, and then in faith, following him obediently, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's where we ended last week. And this morning, then, as we come to chapter 7, we're beginning to kind of turn the corner to move towards the end of this Sermon on the Mount. This call to walk righteously, seeking God's kingdom. Jesus is coming to his conclusion by pointing out that all of this ends with all of us being called to give an account. Called to give an account. God will judge all the world. Just take your Bible and just glance ahead at what are probably section headings for you in the, the rest of this chapter. You see there towards the end, a tree and its fruit. Judge between the two of them. I never knew you, says Jesus, judging. Build your house on the rock because a great big storm is coming. That's, that's all about judgment. That's where this ends, the Sermon on the Mount. Judgment upon all the world is coming. From God, not from us. We're not the judges. We don't pass any verdicts on people. We're called to seek righteousness, seek the kingdom, and while we do so, judge not. Critical attitude, a, cri a critical posture for us if we're going to have any hope of being effective in calling people to Jesus, which is really important given the fact that judgment's coming. We're going to call people to Jesus. We can't be judgmental ourselves. And that's what Jesus is going to get at this morning, the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. So that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to read the passage and then draw out three observations from verses 1 to 6. So let me read them, and then we'll take them apart. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. So three observations. Here's the first. Don't be judgmental, or you're asking to be judged by God. Don't be judgmental, or you're asking to be judged by God. Verse 1 begins with a command, don't judge and I'm using the word judgmental here in, in setting this point, and I'm going to use it a lot throughout this morning, to clarify immediately and repeatedly what it means and what it doesn't mean when Jesus says, don't judge. Some people, inside the church and certainly outside the church, both places have always tried to make this command an absolute statement, an absolute prohibition. 
saying, the Christian is never to speak disapprovingly about anything anyone else ever does. Never question, never challenge, never say that something is wrong, never, never question or disagree with, it, with a, a choice or a perspective taken. God may do that, but that's up to him. What Jesus is saying right here is that we're not to do that ever. Some people say that, and that's not what he means. Obviously, this statement here, and much in the Sermon on the Mount, and much in all the rest of the Bible, there are things here that Jesus is teaching us that we are supposed to understand and that are binding on us, his people, down through the generations. So we're supposed to understand this verse, and then down through the generations, tell Christians that it's wrong to judge but you can't logically tell somebody that they're always wrong to ever tell somebody they're wrong. Follow that? You can't tell somebody they're wrong to tell somebody they're wrong. Always, in every case. This, this can't be absolute. Logically, it makes no sense. But textually also, even within this very passage, verse 3, we're supposed to know what a speck is and what a log is. And we're supposed to have a role in taking both of them out. Verse 6, we're supposed to recognize holy things and pearls and that there are some people who are like dogs and pigs. That is, unclean, violent, dangerous. And we're supposed to recognize all those things and know the difference between them all and respond accordingly and, of course, teach others to also. And then moving ahead, verses 13 and 14, there are narrow and wide gates and paths. There are false prophets. There is fruit to be examined and discerned. That's good and that's bad. We're supposed to know it, recognize it, and tell others. Obviously, plain as day, Jesus does not mean for us to think of some sort of agnostic, ambivalent, silent approach to the world and all issues of right and wrong. You know, you do you in some absolute way. No, not at all. What Jesus is forbidding, putting his finger on here, is something that I'm calling judgmentalism. Clarify the difference. Judgmentalism, which is first a heart attitude, but then, like always, then comes out in our actions or the ways that we are, but it's first something that starts in here. What he's putting his finger on here is an attitude of arrogance, Superiority often looking down and almost delighted at the chance to, this, this language kind of works for me, at least in my mind, to pronounce condemnation on another person. Let me sort you out. You, sir, are guilty. You're evil. You're wrong. Almost happy about that. Are there people who are evil, guilty, and wrong? Yeah, sure, of course. But the problem is the attitude of being happy to point that out, delighted in it. That's the attitude that's so offensive and so proud. It presumes to sit as judge over another, never mind me, over another to determine what they are and how they are doing and then pass verdict on them. And we can carry ourselves like that towards people out in the world all around, and we can actually carry ourselves like that towards people even within the walls of the church. 
We can do that. Because sinners and failures and people in error who do things wrong and poorly and who believe wrong theology, who don't live up to what they believe, that's out there and that's in here too. And we can certainly point and then wag our fingers at people out there and in here also. It's real easy to look for people who are doing something wrong like a detective to try to catch them and convict them as if that's our job. Call it backbiting or call it gossip or call it critical spirit or call it judgmentalism. Critical spirit's the one that works for me. That's where I live. Not always in my words, but a lot up here. So maybe check you up here. Sometimes I know better than to say something. Sometimes, sometimes I say something. Sometimes I know better than to say something, but up here I'm throwing rocks at people. I'm so angry. Throwing rocks of condemnation that I hope strike them. Maybe that's you. Or maybe, maybe you're not throwing rocks. Maybe you're just shaking your head at the stupid people all around you. Stupid people. The world's full of stupid people. Ever notice that? Full of them. I see them all the time. I throw rocks at them in my head. Maybe you don't. What do you do? Examine you. What is it that's in you that wants to haul people in front of you and pass some sort of judgment, a verdict on them themselves? Not just on what they're saying or what they're doing, but on them themselves. What is it in you? Clarify that for yourself and then hear the command, do not judge. Don't be judgmental. Continuing in verse 1, that you be not judged. This is a heavy or else statement. Don't judge or else you'll be judged, verse 2, in the very same way, the very same degree, with the same exacting standard that you used. It's going to get turned back on you. Now, this can't be literal because he's talking about measures, measuring cups or measuring scoops. We don't measure out judgment like that. What I was trying to get at is the judgmental Christian can know I am asking to get judged and I'm setting the standard. How I am is how it will be. That's his point. Asking to get judged. By whom? Well, certainly, in one sense, this should remind us that judgmental people are often not well-liked by the wider world. There's, there's certainly a sense that there's something to learn or remember from, from this at the horizontal level. People are very, very disinclined to cut you some slack if you're not a kind of person who cuts anybody any slack. It's not how you win friends and influence people. It's how you make enemies and live a lonely and hard life. That's true. Judgmentalism gets judged by others on this level here, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a vertical judgment. This whole chapter, the whole winding down of this chapter is moving towards judgment before God. God's command to us here is to not be judgmental, proudly pronouncing condemnation, 
And it is right in line with what he's said several times already in this sermon in the other way around. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Same thing, other side of the coin. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Be like your father who is kind to all, even to those who are under his final condemnation. You realize that that's what God's like. God knows full well that he is going to judge, and he looks at people that he knows full well are never going to come to him, and he is still constantly showing them common grace. We already saw that. That's what he called us to. Why? Remember this. Why did he call us to that? Well, it's because of what he's like, yeah. Well, why did he call us show off what he's like because he wants himself accurately shown in all the world that his glory may be accurately shown in all the world that people in all the world would see something of accurately something of his mercy and his compassion his kindness for sure his truth and his righteousness of course absolutely Speak the truth, absolutely, but to speak it in love. To speak the truth of what God requires of us. To speak the truth of, of who we actually are, of our falling short, of our sin, of the judgment that is coming. Absolutely, all of that must be spoken of. But even for us today, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance, is it not? Even for the Christian, still today, it's his kindness, not his holiness. Not his righteousness that leads you to repentance. That makes you aware that there's a problem that brings up the confrontation, but then it is his kindness. It is his open-handed, merciful, gracious, smiling appeal. Come, find rest. That's what draws us. That's what draws the world. And so he says, that's who I am. Tell the truth about me, please. For my sake, for my glory's sake, for the sake of those who are wondering who God really is. Tell the truth about me, please. He requires that of us, that we be people who love our enemies or flipped around, not judgmental of them. That we speak the truth in a way that is as winsome as it may possibly be. That we show the kindness of God as clearly as we possibly can. That we show the graciousness of Christ's forgiveness as gloriously as possibly can be done. Truth, truth for sure, but accurately mixed with grief and sorrow that people reject it. Sorrow at the blindness that, that afflicts those around us. Grief over sin and loss. Grief that the glory of God is not known. He wants that all accurately shown. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. His disciples said, can we fireball the place now? And Jesus has tears in his eyes while they say that. That's often us. So he commands something different of us. Love, flipped around, don't be judgmental. Speak the truth, absolutely, but in love, kindly. And he commands us of us. And, and he's, he's put that, he's put some of that in you already, Christian. When he saved you, he, he put in you an enhanced taste for gracious mercy. That lives in us, and he wants to grow in us this attitude of mercy. We, we, we are bent that way now. We, that is the currency that is natural for us. If you're a Christian, that's, that's true. 
And it's also true that we're still fallen and still inclined the other direction towards condemnation. And, and I think I, I really appreciate I was prayed earlier, prayed about fear and anger. I think those are the two things that primarily drive us this other way. We're, we're angry at the way people are screwing up the world and afraid of what that means. And so we're, we're bent towards this condemning, judgmental attitude. And if, when, we move that way, we get angry or scared and in some way try to seize God's throne and sort things out right now. God, your Father in heaven, like any good father, if he looks at his kids and sees something gone haywire, says, that can't be. Not in my house. So I'm going to have to sort that out with my kids. And he will turn to you and judge you. Discipline you. To bring the correction that must come to you here in this life. He disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his kids, us. And he finds us in the wrong on this judgmentalism question. And he sees there's so much at stake here for, for your character, for your conformity to me, but for my glory and for the sake of the world. There's so much at stake here. I've got to fix that. And he will judge. He will discipline here. The attitude behind so much judgmentalism is pride. So I would expect that how God would turn to discipline to judge us would be to humble us in some way. And that'll hurt in some way. So don't ask for that in any way. It's his judgment that in some way will come on us here, his discipline of us here. But that may not be the extent of it. God's judgment of us may extend even into heaven also. Not that any true Christian misses heaven, fails to get there, but that when you get there, you may find that God's discipline means less reward there than there could have been. The term reward, was that not repeatedly brought up in chapter 6? Jesus was very often talking about reward in heaven and, and incentivizing us and telling us to think about that. And then he moved on to say, use everything you've got here to store up for yourself treasure in heaven. We just talked about that repeatedly. Well, you know, here's how not to store up treasure in heaven, and here's how to take a pass on heavenly reward. Disobey Jesus and carry yourself here in a spirit of judgmentalism. That's how. The judgment of God, the discipline of God will come here and may well extend into heaven too. Now, I don't know what it means exactly. I don't know what we would lose, what, what that's like. Martin Lloyd-Jones commenting on this passage said, I don't know what you'll lose, but you'll lose something. Don't ask for that, whatever that is. It's real, whatever it is. We don't want to face that. We don't want to, don't want to look at discipline here. We don't want to look at discipline or loss there. That's what Jesus is saying to us here. So, there's something here before us, a call. And if you're a Christian, there's, 
There's some mercy that's planted in you and, and you resonate with this. And I think probably most of us, if you stop for a minute and analyze, you're a little bit grieved by it. So stop for a minute and analyze. Where are you critical? Judgmental in spirit. Maybe it's towards people out there. Maybe it's heightened by the number of flags you see flying in your neighborhood right now. Who hates the woke movement? Who hates Trump? Don't raise your hand. I'm just saying. I know there are people in the room in both categories who hate the woke movement and who hate Trump. Hate. There you go. You just found it. Who's critical? Who's, who's judgmental of that person at work, that boss, that coworker who's a moron? Maybe you just found it. How about your spouse? This one gets harder, but there's a fair number of us who are whew, highly critical of the person you sleep next to. Highly. Work through that in your mind. And I know that if you work through that and, and you're honest for a second, but if you're a Christian, there's something that's planted in you that says, oh, I don't want to be like that. I know you don't. You don't. He's planted something in you that wants to be merciful, that wants to be like Jesus. And you're grieved by it and you wish you weren't that way. So what do you do? Well, that takes us to the second observation. Here's the second one. Judge yourself first so that then you can be a helpful judge to others. Judge yourself first so that then you can be a helpful judge for others. A helpful judge. With a good bit of hyperbole, verses 3 to 5 present this absurd situation. I see my brother, a Christian brother in this case, that's the assumption here, who has a speck in his eye, like a speck of dirt or a splinter, an eyelash maybe. And I judge that accurately. That is a speck. It is in his eye. It doesn't belong there. Got all that right. But somehow I failed to notice the log in my own eye. Maybe your translation has beam. This is, the word is a gigantic piece of wood that would hold up a ceiling or a roof. Stuck in my eye, an eight by an eight by eight beam. It's ridiculous, right? Well, he tells it like this because it just makes you think, how in the world did that guy see the speck over there in that person's eye? And how in the world did you come to the conclusion that that was the biggest problem at hand that needed to be dealt with right now? But as Jesus tells it, and as we sometimes experience it, that's how it goes. And never mind this, I'm, I'm going to approach you and I'm going to say, let me help you with it. i got a pair of tweezers, hold still. I can, I can kind of have, don't stop moving. That's not a good idea. People do it all the time. Verse 5, Jesus calls such a person a hypocrite, skipping the massive problem I have to make sure that we take care of your problem hypocrisy. 
but maybe hypocrisy is a, is a little too on the nose for where you are right now. Maybe you're just actually thinking about this, you're, you're kind of reading it through, and you're not hypocritical in like a sense. We're grieved right now. It's like, that's what I am, and I help. I'm prone to judgment. I see that. I want some help with that. And either way, if, if you're proudly holding on to hypocrisy or you're just kind of broken and grieved right now, the answer is the same for either situation. How do I deal with, how do I help get rid of the hypocritical, judgmental nature that's in me and is grieving me right now? Well, verse 5, first take the log out of your own eye. Then address the speck. You don't skip the speck. We do remain concerned for our brother, for the other person. In a sense, that it is important. We want to remain helpful to the others. But, but I, I'm not helpful yet until I first dealt with me. So we must first judge ourselves. This is critical. Take the log out of your own eye. Which means what, really? Look at yourself. Look at yourself before all of God's truth. Look at your own sin first, and then repent yourself first. That's what he means. And there's no better way to look at yourself before the truth of God and be honest than in this very context to take yourself through the Sermon on the Mount. To take yourself back to where this all began in the Beatitudes. Because the person who is judgmental in heart has lost touch with poor in spirit has become disconnected from his has lost contact with mourning over my own sin and is no longer humble but is proud, not meek. The first three Beatitudes, you can see how those things, if you're judgmental of others, you've lost touch with those things. So take yourself back there, back to the beginning, and hold all that back up in front of yourself. Remember the vastness of God's creation. Remember that? Two trillion galaxies and hundreds of billions of planets. You work through that in your mind and you come back down to this little spot where we live all of our lives in this little strip of land on top of this little bitty planet here in the midst of all of this vastness that you and I contributed nothing to at all. We bring nothing to the table. He gives us life. He gives us what we need for our lives. And when he's done, he takes it away. And we die and face the judgment. Poor in spirit and mourning over our sin. Examine yourself and, and see yourself before this vast God. You're going to stand in front of him one day. What standard do you want to use? Do you want the exactness of his law or do you want mercy? you look at yourself and realize I need a righteousness that I cannot produce. I long for a hunger for righteousness to come to me from outside of me. I want to be given something that I cannot produce but need. God help.
You spell out in front of you then in the following paragraphs and chapters, here's the righteousness of what it looks like. Here's the law explained to me, and it's about my heart that is so broken. It's about a seeking first of his kingdom above all other things, a living for then, not now. Lord, help. So you never actually leave the Beatitudes. If you're, if you're thinking and you're holding God's word in front of you, you never actually leave the Beatitudes because you're constantly reminded how small you are and how frail you are and how fallen you are. How much in need of him to give to you, grace to change you and mercy to forgive you. You're never beyond that. The judgmental person, though, has forgot all that. So to get rid of judgmentalism, to pull the log out of your eye, come back to the Beatitudes and sit in front of the vastness of God and the holiness of the one who created you and holds you. You go back to the Beatitudes of the sermon that follows, and so you take out the log of pride that feeds judgmentalism and critical spirits and become Christ-like in humility, Christ-like in lowliness. Go back there, small and sinful and needy. That's me. You go back there, you do that, and you don't only do that. And you go back to the second half of every one of the Beatitudes also. You take yourself back to blessed are the poor in spirit, Use that to confront yourself, to call yourself to repentance. You're judging yourself there. And, blessed are the poor in spirit, what's the second half? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Preach that to yourself too. The second half of every one of the Beatitudes. You don't just go to the first half. The first half kind of comes like this. And we need that in our judgmentalism because we're proud. You need that. The first half comes like this, and the second half comes like this. It knocks you down, then picks you up in the same sentence. The first half and the second half. It knocks you down, then picks you up. Poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Mourning, you shall be comforted. Meek, you're going to inherit the earth. You've got to go back to the second half too because half of what's wrong with us here in judgmentalism is our pride and half, the other half of what's wrong with us is, is just straight up fear that it's all going to fall apart and the second half of the Beatitudes remind us constantly, no, 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 the kingdom is real and the kingdom is yours and the kingdom is coming. There's a king and he's got it all. Relax. He has it all. He doesn't actually need you to sort it out. He's got it all in hand. The kingdom is yours. Comfort is yours. The earth is yours. Righteousness and joy and peace and mercy. You will see his face. You will dwell with him. Then I remind you at the end, and the kingdom is yours. Remember, that's how it begins and ends. The kingdom is real. The kingdom is coming. The king reigns. It's okay. Relax. That's the other half of the problem with judgmentalism. I'm proud and terrified. Humble yourself and relax. Free from anxiety. Did we not just talk about this? Free from anxiety because I got it, says your Father in heaven. And I'm giving it all to you, says your Father in heaven. Relax.
the judgmental person has lost track of, has lost connection to the first half and the second half of every one of the Beatitudes. Go back. That's why Jesus started there. Go back and preach those things to yourself. You must do that. You must preach this for humbling and preach this for hope. Believing this is who he is. This is who I am. This is where I sit in the palm of his hands. All these things are mine and I'm okay. I'm okay. The world is okay. God sits in heaven. Psalm 2 looks at the world and does not do this. He sits at the, in heaven, looks at the world and says, huh, what? you got to be kidding me. I have enthroned my king. Rest in that. The kingdom is coming to you. Go back and preach those things for your humbling and for your hope. And as we do that, we end up softened and humbled and now ready to help others with the speck that's in their eye. With what? With the same truths. The same precious truths that help us take the log out will help them take the speck out also. So we go back, we first, we first address ourselves, and then we take the same things to address them, move towards others in the church and in the world. Because we don't want to skip them, we do want to be helpful. That's why we're here to love one another and to do good to the world, and this is good. As we do that, there's one final observation. Jesus has one more thing to say to us that's short, but realistic and wise, and maybe a little bit contrary. So here's the final observation. It's short because it's not the main point. Judge wisely. Not everyone can be helped right now. Judge wisely. Not everyone can be helped right now. Verse 6, he points out that there are some people around us who are like dogs or pigs, which is to say not cute little pets. In ancient Israel, they would not have been thinking of, of pets or cute farm animals. They would have thought of wild dogs and feral pigs. And nobody approached such animals to feed them. Certainly not feed them things that they're going to be quickly dissatisfied with. If you come upon a pack of wild dogs, you might throw them something that looks like wild meat and might distract them, but when they realize that's cardboard or wood, they're going to be frustrated and standing next to you. Don't go there, Jesus says. Don't throw them holy things. Don't throw them pearls, which you have in your possession. You have pearls, holy things, precious things, the truths of the kingdom of God. All these things we were just rehearsing from the Beatitudes, you know all those things. They are in your hands. They're in your toolbox. You know of, of the beauty of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God. You know of, of the beauty of his holiness and purity. You know of the coming judgment. You know of all these things and the beautiful, glorious truth that God has provided a way out. Jesus, you understand all of that. And some people will be absolutely intolerant 
of such glorious hope. There is a ton of intolerance in the world. Sometimes from the most tolerant speaking people. We know that. Let's be honest about that. People say tolerance, what they mean is, of everything but what you believe. That's what people mean, let's be honest. That's out there. That's what Jesus is getting at here in verse 6. Be wise, that's out there. And those folks will despise you and will judgmentally condemn you and will cancel you and will ostracize you no matter how humble and gracious and loving you are. Not everybody by a long shot, but some. Some. And the only answer, at least right now, is don't talk to them about such things. It seems easy, but some of us have a really hard time with that particularly some of us who are of a bolder personality and maybe a bit judgmental in spirit, you sometimes, you hold the truth, it doesn't look like a pearl to you, it looks like a hand grenade, and you pull the pin and you walk around looking for people. (laughs) Don't. It's just going to get messy. It's not helpful. Maybe stay around such people. Maybe you wisely discern this. Jesus is wanting us to be wiser. Wisely discern. Maybe you stay around such people. Maybe you do them good. Maybe you love them. You pray for them. You listen to them. But you don't throw the precious things in front of them because at the moment, they're just not going to hear it. And it will get messy in an unproductive way. He does not tell us here how to determine if the person sitting next to you at work is one of these people or somebody who is open and interested. He doesn't tell us that because there are a hundred variables. He's just alerting you to the fact that not everybody at the moment is ready to hear this. So don't talk to them about that, at least yet. Pray and love live and perhaps there will come some point when they see and wonder and will ask you for the reason that's within you for the hope that's within you be wise discern judge carefully the situation not with the judgmental condemnation just with wisdom and maybe with grief and prayer this is an important final point here it's it's kind of tacked on the end. Obviously, it is not even the most words aren't given to this, and it's not the emphasis of the passage, but it's tacked on here at the end just as a wise reminder. Attend to yourself. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you're going to want to turn to help other people take the speck out of their eye. But not everybody's ready for that right now at the moment. And you can't make them so by being super, super gracious and super, super nice. Pray. And then move to help others as they are ready to receive it. But move towards others, not judgmentally, but humbly in hope. Because the judgment is coming. Let's pray.
Father, would you help us to sort out all these things with ourselves and with the others around us? To be wise, to be humble, to be hopeful. Each one of us here needs something different at the moment. I don't know what that would be, but you do. So please minister the need to the person in the moment. Build here a church that is humble and gracious looks to help others and is able to be helpful because we've dealt with ourselves. Make us a church like that, please. We trust ourselves to you. Say thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.